Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Roger, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at TexasFootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTFCFB. And you can become a subscriber at TexasFootball.com slash subscribe. Well, it's been a few weeks here, I guess, but now we got Ishmael Johnson back. Ish, how you doing? Yo, what's up, man? What has uh, been your uh, favorite useless bowl game so far? Oh, man. Well, I, I got to say, we're recording this during the Mayo Bowl, so it kind of depends on how that ends, whether it oh, ends with, point. with Mayo being dumped on <laughs> freaking – gosh, who's, who's the coach at Wake Forest again? Uh, oh, my gosh. Is it Clawson? Clawson, Dave Clawson. Yeah, Dave yes. Clawson. The, who, who, by the way, one of the most underrated coaches in America. I cannot believe For sure. Him. I, no, for sure. I, I think the only, the only reason I remember because he's such a it's such a forgettable name. It's not that he's a bad coach or anything, but like I think I just remember the claw fence. The claw from, fence. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say. From, I was gonna uh, say. <laughs> um, uh, shutdown podcast. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he, he's good, man. I, I'm surprised he doesn't get a little bit more attention than he does, and like I'm surprised. I mean, this is I guess I guess Dave Clawson, and not to turn this into a Wake Forest podcast, but I, I feel like maybe that this is one of like the biggest things where people just outthink the hell out of coaching decisions is mm-hmm. like, hey, here's this guy in the ACC who's been incredible. Well, couldn't use him. Winning eight ga- yeah, winning weight game, uh, eight games at Wake Forest. That's not nothing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for example, um, oh, man, <laughs> this guy over here winning eight games a year at Wake Forest in North Carolina where he's, you know, at probably, you know, out of the Power 5 schools, the worst school in the Carolinas. Mm-hmm. I think it's the smallest Power 5 school in America. And uh, South Carolina is just like, what about Shane Beamer? <laughs> like, really? <laughs> really? He, he's right there. He's like, right. he's like 150 miles from campus. And yeah. anyway, whatever. I digress. I digress. This, yeah. College football hiring is a fascinating game. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we'll see how that ends. Um, I, I do have to say, uh, sorry, I, I, I didn't mean to refer to him as Dave Clawson. I should uh, say Coach Clawson, of course. You know, I've got to pay the proper you gotta respect. <laughs> <laughs> god that was that 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 was like usually there's like i guess i don't want to say daily but like weekly there's always like dumb discourse yeah. on twitter yeah that was like it, that was ending 2020 just right like it was like i i i think you know i'm gonna knock on wood i think we're gonna end it with that probably being the last really really dumb discourse of the year <laughs> still got um, a day. <laughs> i know we still got a day so we'll see but uh yeah a reporter scolding somebody for not calling Nick Saban coach Saban is definitely one of the stupidest things I've seen. Yeah, I for for people who didn't see, there was a TV lo, like local TV news reporter out of Alabama mm-hmm. who scolded someone because specifically he scolded a younger reporter who mm-hmm. obviously just kind of slipped up cuz guess what? Hey, here's the secret even though we do this for a living, it's still a little intimidating sometimes to ask questions in front of people. Uh, right. Accidentally said, hi, Saban. Like, obviously, <laughs> trying right. to figure out whether I'm going to say, hi, Nick, or hi, Coach Saban. Like, just clearly, like, getting it all mixed up in their head. And, and this guy decided that this was such an affront that he was going to go to his Facebook page yeah. and write a, like, thousand-word post complaining <sighs> that this writer did not give him enough respect and i want to be clear i call most coaches coach it's it's primarily because i think of coaches by their last name and not by their sure. first name like yeah. i don't really think of 
Tom Herman as like, hey Tom, right? Like right. I kind of I, I think of him more as Herman. Right. Uh, I mean, like for me, like it, it's more of like you know I grew up playing sports, and so like I just call coaches coach. Right. Like as I don't, it's not a. There's so many. There's it, so many coaches seem to get like really offended if you don't call them. It's like it's yeah. a title of respect. It's like I don't play for you. Like I'm right. sorry. Like you know, <laughs> it's just not a thing that it should. It shouldn't be a thing. It's not doctor, right? It's not right. like it's not a legal term or legal right. title. It's not an honorific. No, no. It's like if. I can understand a player calling somebody, a former player calling their old coach, coach for the rest yeah. of their life. Cause that's who that's coach to them. And you probably and like should. I, yeah. And like, to me, of course, like I said, it's just a, it's just a habit. If anything for me is just to call coaches coach. Cause I grew up playing sports. And so like, and like for you, like I don't necessarily, there's some moments where like you're talking to a coach and it's just like, uh, what's your name? Spav it all as a coach, whatever. Like, it's <laughs> right, just like, you right. know, it's just like, it's just off the cuff. It's not like you forget their name, but it's just like, it's just easier to just call everyone coach for some people. It's not like you don't need to like completely uh, honor and, and like adhere to the ground they walk on. And like, it's just like, it's, it's so patronizing to be like, you call him coach. <laughs> right. His name's coach. You better call him coach. Like, right. No, it's, it's not. It really is. Like I, I don't know. It's just a, just a wild thing. Cause the other thing too, is like, I'm, I'm curious even, I, I've obviously never seen it done. Like mm-hmm. a reporter, I like, calling him Mr. Saban, which would probably be the more correct way to actually right. sort of, give a respectful thing i don't know it's sure sure no it's a whole enough. weird uh discourse obviously again i call people coach because i don't care to learn their first name <laughs> and, <laughs> and i tend to whenever i'm interviewing uh whenever i'm interviewing players i tend to just start with like a hey man because yeah. right no exa- yeah totally same same <laughs> so anyway oh man Journalism Twitter is a, a wild thing. It's, it's just, especially <laughs> so many different subcultures of journalist Twitter. Especially, especially uh, college football Twitter specifically, because you have like the one side, which is like, I mean, and not to call people out, but you know, sometimes it's a lot of the time it's the local TV reporter guys in the SEC mm-hmm. who are just like, oh my god, this is this is the greatest human who's ever lived in front of me, and it's just like, all right, mm-hmm. all right, we don't we don't have to do all that. We don't have to do all that. Um, and then the flip side is obviously like the people who are like, not only should you not call them coach, you actually should actively call them by their first names to take them down a peg. And it's like, right. <laughs> all right, we don't need to do it's like, all this that. This isn't contentious here. <laughs> it's not that serious. But anyway, there's far too much college football to talk to keep down this road. So let's go ahead and get right into it. So a lot has happened. I'm trying to remember the last time we recorded. I think it was right before the last week of the season. I think sounds about right. Yeah, because obviously, then the next week was uh, was high school state championships, which ooh, man, that's a that's that's a busy week for us if you yes. don't know. And the next week was Christmas, and I didn't care enough to do it then. So we are back. <laughs> we are back. I guess that means we only missed two shows. It feels like we missed like months, right? But uh, yeah, it, I, as I'm sure you know by now, Texas A&M finished number five in the college football playoff rankings. They will play in the Orange Bowl against, yep, Mac Brown and North Hell Carolina. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, play the game, I guess. I guess our 2015 <laughs> cover worked. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, since the season two, obviously it was always just a little weird because, you know, teams were ending at just such weird times. Like Texas State ended Thanksgiving week, I want to say. And, mm-hmm. you know, now we got teams only just now finishing. It's obviously been a weird year, but. 
there have been some big departures actually since the offseason started. Uh, I'd say probably, well, I guess, I guess we can go to, go to Waco for two different guys. But uh, <laughs> first of all, Charlie Brewer uh, deciding to leave. He actually announced his decision the day after Baylor's last game. And uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. he got hurt in his last game and missed the second half. We got to see some Jacob Zeno. But uh, he, and also, and we can get to this guy too, Texas quarterback Jaquindon Jackson, who if you follow Dave Campbell's sex football, I think you know that name. Obviously, the great, great quarterback uh, from Duncanville. Both of them joining, by the way, former Texas quarterback Cameron Rising at Utah. I forgot Cameron Rising was there. Wow. Um, yeah, that one, I think the Jackson one didn't surprise me. The Jackson one happened first. And yeah. that one didn't surprise me. It was like, okay, like I, I can kind of see that mold of quarterback working. Utah's had like a, a variety of different styles of quarterbacks. Definitely. And, and uh, uh, Whittingham, right, is a – I'm trying yes. to remember. Yes, yes. Whittingham. Um, making sure I got that right. Whittingham, he, he, you know, he's, he's made it work and he's made different offenses work and they're competitive Pac-12 school. And, you know, I can understand Jackson wanting that kind of challenge and still wanting to play for some sort, some sort of a contender, right? Um, and it, it was a – job that he probably could win and probably still can win um but then brewer yeah brewer really surprised me because i didn't think that i think it's i think it would confuse me mostly because i don't know if it's a why would he go to a job a school where in my opinion i don't know if he's the best quarterback on the roster and i don't know if he's gonna we don't know what Jackson's going to look like, right? We don't know what Cameron Rising's going to look like necessarily. But if I'm Brewer, I don't go to that situation where right. I'm like in the midst of three other, two other quarterbacks, like who could potentially right. start over me. And granted, maybe he heard something from the coaching staff that basically said like, hey, you're going to have an upper, upper leg over these guys in the race, maybe. I don't know. Um, but if I'm him, I'd want to go to a place where I'm more guaranteed to start and, you know – maybe it was just his reluctance to go like to group of five or lower power five or something that he wanted to go to a contender. But man, that Brewer's decision baffled me more than Jackson's. So here, here's the, what I'll say about uh, Utah is that they had a lot of success last year with Tyler Huntley at quarterback and mm-hmm. Huntley was not the most accurate passer. He was not a downfield passer, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I think that, I, I don't know if I'd go necessarily this far. I'd, I'd say that he's in a similar style to Charlie Brewer. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing that I'll say about it is that this is very much a run-first offense, right? Sure. So it's not going to be about Charlie running for his life. It's not going to be about him having to stand and deliver in the pocket, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's not necessarily what he's going to have to do, which also, by the way, is why I think that, especially early in his career, it could be a really good fit for Jaquindon Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, Another thing that I'll say, I guess, in both of their favor is that clearly rising being there wasn't enough to dissuade them from taking multiple sure. transfer quarterbacks. Sure, sure. Uh, and on top of that, which, which, by the way, the other hilarious thing about it is that I kind of didn't think about the fact that they had Jake Bentley, who then left, who was yeah. like supposed to be the, the next big thing at South Carolina. They, they got the weirdest quarterback room of all time, my goodness. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I am very curious about that. I, I think that Jackson's clearly the future there. Like, I think that he's going to be a better fit for what Utah wants to do than Cameron Rising would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, Brewer only has the one year. It's definitely a weird fit. It's definitely a weird situation. Um, and 
Yeah, I feel like if I were Charlie Brewer, I would just try to go to a place where I'd for sure get to play. Mm-hmm. Because but, that, that's, that's been the question mark this, the past couple of years is like, can he play anymore? Can he play? What to, can he reach the potential that we saw his sophomore year? And right. I'd be trying to do, again, maybe it was just him saying, I'm not going group of five. I'm staying in the power of five. I'm staying with a good program, you know, because he could have, let's I mean, he could have gone anywhere. He could have gone to North Texas, SMU or whatever, and lit up and put up numbers and, you know, shown that he can still do what, what we thought he can do. But prop him, who knows, him, the competitor in him said, no, I'm going to do it at Utah. I'm going to do it in the Pac-12. I'm going to do it for a power five school. Yeah. Well, and, and I don't know, maybe, maybe the thought process for him ended up being that at Utah, there is potentially a real chance that they could compete, right? Like if he, if he wins the starting job, they could compete for the Pac-12. I don't think I could win it necessarily. I I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, Oregon's going to be tough. USC is going to be tough with Slovis back. Like, you know, they're, they're probably better teams to mm-hmm. where they can't necessarily win it, but they're going to be really good. They're going to make a bowl game. Um, you know, uh, this is obviously so much bigger than football. Unfortunately, they're going to, they, they lost their, their running back, Ty Jordan from West Mesquite to uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately uh, uh, passed away after an accident. Um, but, you know, th- this is going to be a team that is competitive. And I do think that whichever guy starts for them, whether it's rising or Jackson or Brewer, I think that uh, I, I think that any of those guys is in good shape to be able to sort of launch this team to sort of that, not necessarily top echelon, but mm-hmm. way up there in the Pac-12. So I don't know. May, I, I don't know, obviously, who else he heard from. That, that's obviously got to be a factor. You'd imagine he heard from SMU, I'd imagine. Imagine. Uh, you know, I, I don't know whether North Texas reached out. Uh, you know, so I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess for Brewer, maybe this is like his, his one chance to be like, I can prove that this was circumstance and this was not, you know, me, per se. Right. Who knows? Who knows? It's going to be really interesting. Uh, moving on to the, uh, a kid uh, who played in Waco to a kid who's from Waco, Tanner Mordecai, heading yeah. back to the States from Oklahoma. Uh, for people who don't know, was an absolute star at, he went midway down in Waco. Uh, led them to a state championship game, and uh, it's weird they didn't play that game. I don't know what happened there, but um... <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, they just random a sci fair just ended up with the trophy. I don't know. What happened. I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, weird stuff happens, man. What, what was the final score of that game? <laughs> uh, I actually don't know. I actually want to look it up. <laughs> anyway, but, uh, go ahead. Yeah, you before know, we, before we rag on Midway, fifty-one thirty-five. Was oh my Anyways, oh sorry. my gosh. Well, hey, listen, Tanner Mordecai was not the reason they lost the game. Off. Obviously, right. uh, so great, great player was a highly rated player when he went to Oklahoma. Um, look, you lost to Spencer Rattler. I don't think there's any shame in that right. um, to come up short against him. And now he's heading to SMU, which I think that this is kind of interesting, right? Because I would be curious because because SMU is graduating Shane Bouchelle. That's happened. That's done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they've got. I, I'm not surprised that they took a kid. Right, I think that right. they kind of had to, honestly, because because Terrence Gibson, their backup, is transferring. Mm-hmm. So I believe that at I this believe point, Will Brown is as well. Oh, has he has he declared he's transferring? I okay. think I thought I, I thought I thought I saw his name. I might, I might be making that up. Go ahead. I, I can't keep track of any of the stuff, man. It's so right. much. But uh, but so yes, he did have... enter, uh, in November. He entered the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So 
they don't have a scholarship quarterback on the roster then is is basically what oh wait no be. sorry sorry that was i was looking at your article <laughs> he, he has not is so it's just will brown then. but he again he's been playing receiver mostly yeah so. they moved him to receiver um they they clearly don't think his features at quarterback and so they needed to add a guy so i'm not surprised at all that they added a guy mm. i just thought that they'd maybe add a, a guy who's like an upperclassman you know a you guy know, somebody with potentially three more years of eligibility left. right because uh for people who don't know they added a top 300 blue chip guy in quarterback preston stone from parish episcopal right i think that's yes. right um you know one of the highest rated quarterbacks in the state of texas one of the best in the country i believe they're calling him the best recruit in modern like the in the modern recruiting era for smu obviously you know pre-dickerson and all that, or post right i was about to say probably that. i mean like definitely the best since that pony express right. class right and so you know legit top end guy uh and yeah like you mentioned tanner mordecai could have up to three years left i believe um if he chose to do it now we don't necessarily know how everybody's gonna handle all this stuff right like whether he's gonna stay for five years and all that sort of stuff but mm-hmm. you know it's I, I would you'd obviously be shocked if he didn't stay for at least two and uh yeah it's gonna be interesting how they handle it um i i am curious obviously you know once preston stone signs you know he's he's signing i i'm mm-hmm. sure that the staff also was at least somewhat upfront about the fact that they're probably going to bring somebody in because they didn't have any scholarship quarterbacks but yep. yeah it's i i definitely if you're preston stone i wonder what you're thinking right now Definitely. I think that's, I mean, you would hope that they would have told him that they were bringing somebody in um, because I don't think it was, I don't think it was realistic for SMU to put, you know, put next year on Preston Stone. No, but no, 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 no. I think, yeah, when you see who it was and maybe, maybe, I don't know if it was a thing of them looking for somebody and Mordecai kind of showing a lot more interest and then being like, well, we're not going to say no to Tanner Mordecai, right? right. So, you can't. so, right, exactly. So it's like, well, I, I guess we'll just figure this out when he gets here. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was more the issue as opposed to like maybe actively courting him and going sure. after him and chasing him per se. I mean, he, he was, for SMU, I mean, I, I'm, I might be missing somebody, but he's damn near best available. Right, exactly. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's going to be a tricky situation because, again, you don't want your potentially best recruits since the 80s to just say yeah i'm gonna leave because i'm gonna you know i'm gonna go to tcu or whatever right just because um you know tanner's not leaving and tanner beat me out in the spring and okay it looks like he's the guy i'm gonna leave right because that's what everybody's doing and everybody has the right to do because there are teams that are willing to start you and (laughs) build teams around you for those for your full years of eligibility so yeah, um, it's going to be really, really fascinating because they're almost like, I guess, well, actually, I can, they're almost similar quarterbacks, like in build and like mm-hmm. play style as well. Both got sure. pretty good arms and both can move around. I think they're both around 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, um, so it's going to be really interesting to see which one edges out the other. And I think it will be Mordecai just because of experience uh, for at least as far as the spring and early next year. But um yeah, it it's a baffling situation, and, and it's kind of SMU's first like conundrum, <laughs> I guess you can say, since <laughs> right. any since all this happened, because you know Bichelle went there, and I was like, okay, Bichelle's the guy, that's it, boom, ready to go, and it's kind of been smooth sailing since then, and now it's like, okay, well now there's some some interesting wrinkles going on here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's going to be interesting to watch. Um, you know, we'll, we'll quickly just mention two fantastic group uh sorry fcs quarterbacks who are mm-hmm. transferring 
Bailey Zappi, who I think that's anybody who's ever visited textfootball.com. Uh, I, I think that they know that we're big Bailey Zappi fans. Um, and so he, along with with both Stearns receivers, right? Both, both yes, brothers? Yes, Jareth and Jared Stearns. Jareth and Jordan Stearns. I Jordan Stearns, sorry, yes. I think that's right. Um, no, no, it's Josh Stearns. Jordan's the Oklahoma Jareth, State brother. Oh yes, my okay, Jareth and Josh Stearns are the brothers yes. at HBU. <laughs> yes, Jordan Stearns was a defensive back at Oklahoma State. Anyway, okay. yes, so so Josh and Jareth. Jareth's the easy one because nobody else has a name like Jareth. But, right. Uh, but so both of them, along with Bailey Zappi, are all following offensive coordinator Zach Kitley, who was just hired at Western Kentucky. So basically, they were just like, what if we did all of this? somewhere else <laughs> right, right. what if bailey zappy threw for all these yards to the stern brothers with kidley calling plays on the east coast <laughs> like let's just, <laughs> let's just do that over there and Listen. i mean hell why not <laughs> like kidley you can t- i can tell too that like that was definitely part of kidley's like pitch to western kentucky he was like look we won't have to build anything for like a year or two because I'm just going to drag all this that I did over here. I, I, I don't know whether like anything would be announced as yet. I yeah. wonder if Western Kentucky is going to play against any of the Texas schools this year. Cause that would, what, what if oh we get God, another, I, oh, what if we get Western Kentucky, to... North Texas again, and we get to see Bailey Zappi against North Texas. I'm looking on FBS again. schedules right now. They're 2021. No, damn it. Yeah, that's UT Martin, Army, Indiana, and Michigan State are their non-conference. That's uh, what's yeah, yeah. So, they, but they get them in conference potentially is what I'm saying. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Uh, let me see. What were their? I, I don't think that they've. Uh, I don't know if they have like a uh, a schedule to it per se. I don't know exactly. Oh, they don't. Yeah, and they they didn't play any of the Texas schools this year. Um, right. Right. Well, hopefully so that knows? means that uh, it's an all Texas school schedule next year, man. Uh, come on, we, oh we gotta God. be ready. Which, That'd by the fun. way. But which, by the way, Zappy has he put up a huge game against UTEP. Remember, uh, mm. that was that was kind of his coming out party in 2019. And then uh, let's see, this year he obviously threw for 500 against North Texas. He threw for 500 against Texas Tech. All right, I, I guess we gotta. I guess we gotta be uh, crossing our fingers that he gets UTSA and Rice this upcoming year. Right. Yeah. So in four. Yeah, yeah. I just want to put out put that out there. His final stats for the year through four games. Four games. Eighteen hundred yards. 65% uh, completion, 15 touchdowns to one pick. <laughs> one pick? That's all. Oh <laughs> <laughs> he was so good, man. Yeah, I got to say, too, uh, you know who they played their last game against was they went and played against Eastern Kentucky. So maybe Western yeah. Kentucky was like, oh, my God. Oh, oh my God. We <laughs> oh can't even God. do that to them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Bring that over here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. So, uh, anyway. Um, you know, so, so real quick, uh, let's also touch on there's been a lot of often coordinator changes in the state. Mm-hmm. So um, kind of a surprise to me, we'll, we'll start with Baylor. Uh, Larry Fedora and George Munoz both out. Uh, yeah. There was some talk of like a little bit of power struggle there. And, and, you know, so I think a lot of people when they heard that Fedora was out, they were like, well, I guess it's Munoz won basically, but he's gone too. Yeah, and so they're going to kind of be starting all over, and uh, I don't think that we have a whole lot of idea what direction they're going to go. Um, I know that you had brought up, okay, now we got to be a little worried because is is Aranda going to do like the defensive coordinator thing and be like, we're gonna we're gonna plod, we're mm-hmm. gonna we're gonna run you know seventy five plays a game and 
eat up 45 minutes a clock. But yeah. I don't think that's going to happen just based off of what he said in the past. But who knows? Mm-hmm. That's fair. I, th- I think that – I think my worry is that all defensive, defensive coaches always eventually fall back on their, on their you know, um, on their laurels of protecting the defense. Um, granted, you know, Aranda's history – isn't set in one system or playing with one type of coach, uh, whether that be head coach or offensive coach or offensive Not coordinators. And so he does have an experience of gearing his defenses toward, you know, high scoring or clock controlling offenses, things like that. So I, it's more of a personal, you know, a paranoia that eventually, you know, they're, all defensive <laughs> right. coaches are going to eventually go to Will Muschamp mode and just like, <laughs> we're just going to run the ball on first and second down and throw five yards short of the marker on third <laughs> down and hope that it results in a first and drain clock, you know, things like that. Um, but what I am, I am interested to see is, yeah, what direction do they go? What, what did Aranda see that he wants to continue doing and what didn't he see? from fedora um because i mean the hope is that obviously he would he goes for somebody obviously you want to land like a joe brady type but like somebody like that where it's like screw it you know we're just gonna air out everything we're gonna go vertical and we're gonna you know get athlete athletes in space and things like that i, I don't know i again i i i'm wondering where that name is right now um because fedora was that that higher last year, right? Where it's like, right. here's a great name. Here's a uh, established offensive mind, uh, you know, spread concept, air raid tree, uh, coaching tree type philosophy. And that was a home run higher at the time. And, you know, I don't know. What, what does he consider a home run now? Um, I saw on 247 somebody making the case for a Sean Bell promotion. I don't know if they do that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, that's, that's I, my friend Scotty. <sighs> Okay. Yeah, I see. I see the desire to right. I see the intrigue because you have Sean Bell as a young coach who did some interesting things at Cedar Ridge. Um, I don't necessarily think he's that innovative of an offensive mind. Well, Uh, I I I think that he definitely. I'd like to see him take on a bigger role, but this is hundred percent a lot to add. This this would this would be a lot. Basically, literally, the only other precedent I have for this is my favorite team, the Tennessee Titans, doing it with Arthur Smith (laughs) turning their tight ends coach into like, oh, he just happens to be this extraordinarily (laughs) gifted and creative play caller. But like, they had no precedent to know that (laughs) that would happen. It just kind of did. Um, You're kind of hoping that again with Sean Bell. Um, and again, it'd be, it, I, I would be interested. Uh, like, I mean, again, I, I, I don't think that's the, the bell thing is going to happen for a lot of sure, reasons, sure. but no, um, but I get, I get the thought of like promoting right. somebody from within. Right? I would not hate the idea of him being like sort of a lesser co-OC. You I was know, about to say like, co-OC, not play caller. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I mean, I, I think that Sean Bell's a very smart coach, and I know he knows a lot of football. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I certainly would be open to him uh, having more responsibility. But I think that I think that the big thing, right, is that I'm always a little wary of fixing something that was broken with just mm-hmm. somebody who's there. You know, I, sure. I fair enough. Yeah, I, I think that um, you know there are exceptions. There are exceptions. I think that you know, even for example, in the NFL, right? Like, I think that it's a little different because you have sort of a lot of people have done a lot of different things before. Whereas I think in college, like sometimes just because of the diversity in scheme, even and diversity in system, sometimes I think you need to like make that decision first of like, what is your 
what what is the groundwork before we can even have like the the innovation you know mm-hmm. and and i don't know at this moment whether baylor has that i don't know what their plan is per se and so i, I would be yeah i think yeah. the thing for me i'm i'm really curious about cuz the name that intrigues me that i don't think just cuz i think he's probably in line for potentially something bigger where he's at right now is jeff nixon sure um just because obviously he was there last year. he I think he also would bring a blend, a nice blend of what Arando wants to do, right? I don't think he's going to be – he's not going to have a plotting offense, but I think he him – especially working after working with Joe Brady this year, I think he would introduce some interesting things, uh, capitalizing on what Baylor does well, which is running the ball when they can and really want to, uh, mixing that up with some vertical concepts. But – you know, there's also the chance that he's in line for the Carolina Panthers job if uh, for the OC job if Joe Brady gets hired away. Yeah, I, I have no idea what its thought process would be on something like that. I will say, I mean, Baylor fans love to complain about uh, Jeff Nixon. It turns out he might have been pretty good at his job. Uh, just, <laughs> just uh, you know, tossing that out there. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I am curious. And we can actually just real quick even move to the other offensive coordinator opening that was filled, mm-hmm. which is Texas Tech. Uh, David Yost getting let go after what was it, I guess, two seasons, right? Yeah, two, two seasons. seasons. And um, getting replaced <laughs> with Sonny Cumbie, the yeah. TPU offensive coordinator. Um, so in, so just to, to, to circle back to the Baylor thing real quick, right? So at Tech, they very much were like, okay, we're running the spread thing and just decided we're completely changing directions, right? Like we want to yes. go straight air raid. Now, yes. I think that <laughs> we can safely say there was at least some level of pressure from the fan base i don't know exactly if the pressure came from administration too but certainly from the fan base and and donors to go Mm -hmm. back to the air raid uh Mm -hmm. after after the struggles of the past few years and i actually i I mean we'll talk about coming in a second i do actually think that this might be the guy to kind of pull some of that together if it Mm -hmm. works um you know for for baylor i'm I'm curious because i will say you know, you mentioned Dave Aranda's coached under many different styles of coaches. He coached at Hawaii, he coached at Utah State, he coached at, oh, for Matt Wells, actually, or with Matt Wells, rather. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he also coached at Wisconsin, where obviously he did the plotting thing, and he coached at LSU, where you had both. Uh, but his first uh, stint as a grad assistant was actually at Texas Tech under Mike Leach, right? So mm-hmm. this is a guy who has coordinated defenses in many different ways. So I don't think he's going to be – I almost don't even think that it's necessarily going to be the system that he's going to be married to as much as a philosophy, right? Like I think he's sure. going to want to try and, um, you know, definitely something that isn't turning the ball over immediately, right? Like I don't think he's going to uh, do anything with insane pace necessarily. But I mm-hmm. think that he wants to be dynamic. He wants to be explosive. I think that uh, – I think that that 2019 LSU team is going to be something that he's going to be chasing for a while. Sure. Um, just in terms of model. Now, at the same time, I have no idea if that's even replicable, obviously. But <laughs> but I think that that's going to at least for now be the thought. So it'll be interesting. But but moving on to Sonny Cumbie, uh, I asked Sonny Cumbie during the intro press conference, you know, why was now the right time to leave TCU, and he gave me a very nice answer about coming home. So uh, listen, this is this is weird. I don't think anybody really expected this at this time. Um, it is worth knowing that Sonny Cumbie had play calling responsibilities taken away from him this past year at, uh, at TCU. Doug Meacham actually called the plays this year. Mm-hmm. But the other thing to note is that Sonny Cumbie was one of the highest paid assistant coaches in the state of Texas. So 
he had it pretty good at TCU. So I'm I'm kind of curious to know what's the plan here now. <clears throat> Gary Patterson. <clears throat> um, look, uh, <laughs> I think yes, all those things are correct. You know, he obviously TCU is a private school, so it obviously has you know it can pay it can probably afford to pay assistance more than what we maybe expect from a, a school of that caliber um, or that that stature, I should say. Um, so why would you go to tech? Hmm. I think it's because that it was pretty clear to everybody that Sonny Cumbie did not have as much of an imprint on the offense as he may have wanted this time around. Sure. Um, I think that the Jerry Kill hire probably was, you know, uh, for, uh, to, to censor myself, cutting his legs out from underneath him, maybe. <laughs> um, and then obviously with Meacham. So it's like you're working, you're basically working with two other offensive coaches and, you know, you're not even the play caller. Um, you know, Meacham goes to Kansas and then comes back and basically gets your job again. <laughs> um, so I, I'm not going to doubt that there wasn't a homecoming element to it, right? I think the tech job might be a dream job for him eventually. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it is a lateral, and if you take into account monetary implications, like a downgrade of an extent to an extent, um, but potentially with a greater reward, because at TCU, there's only so much that he's going to get thanked for that, right? Because the offense looked different this year, and I think everybody immediately said Jerry Kill, yeah. right, or thought Jerry Kill. Yeah. And when the offense was looking good the second thought is probably could be Doug Meacham. Oh, look, Doug Meacham's calling plays. Cool, look at that. You know, it, it, it's a, it was a thankless position, and it didn't doubt me that – it didn't – it didn't. I, I don't doubt that, you know, somebody came to Matt Wells and was like, look, this offense better be good. This offense better be – I don't necessarily think it was something – I don't think they pressured him for the air raid, but I think they basically said, look, you better not lose Baron Morton, and you better put an offense around Baron Morton that utilizes what he does – best and he said okay that's the air raid yeah i i think that i think that for me i look at this texas tech team and honestly the past few years i think that uh, i'm not alone in thinking you know i feel like the results should have been better with what they've had Mm -hmm. um you know and i am curious because i do feel like this offense has weapons this offense proved obviously over the last two years before this past year that it can be productive i think that the defense has i I know the numbers might not show it necessarily i think that the defense has been pretty dang good uh Mm -hmm. this past year i think that it's right on track to be where it should be and so i'm curious now right like you bring in sunny combi you bring back the air raid you bring uh you bring it to a group of players who have proven that they can have success in it um you know i think that's I don't expect Alan Bowman to all of a sudden start completing 70% of his passes and averaging nine yards in attempt anymore. I, I don't think that that's how this is going to work, but I think that this is going to be something that'll have some immediate success. So I'm curious for you. Do you think that if, if this works, right, if, mm-hmm. if the Sunny Cumbie thing works and on top of that, by the way, if you add in some of the, the run game stuff that Cumbie brought in at TCU as well with a very talented backfield with Sir Roderick Thompson, Chardarius Townsend, and Taj Brooks. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think that there's upside here? And, and what do you think kind of, at least in 2021, how, what do you think the upside is exactly? Yeah. I mean, I 
think you have the potential of something special because I look, you know, everybody wants to look at his past couple of years with TCU as, as an indication, as an indicator of what Sonny Cumbie's about. And I don't think I agree with that. I, I personally look at more 2013 tech mm-hmm. when he was co-hosting with Cliff, uh, under Cliff. And that was a team that, had, that could run the ball. Right, yeah. they had they had they had two uh, two five hundred yard rushers. Um, they really, I think, divided between them had about two hundred fifty carries um, throughout the season. They wanted to establish. I mean, I'll say established run, but they wanted to establish some uh, some semblance of a running threat. Right, and it wasn't throwing five hundred yards a game. So, like, I think that Wells nailed it. That he didn't want to go pure air raid right and and that that's become like a phrase pure air raid you know the, the only one really doing that right now is still mike leach right, right even cliffs right. Ad, even cliffs moved on from that so many coaches have a have established semblances of running games in their uh scheming and a lot more rpos and it's not just five wide four wide you know three yard routes things like that um there are more vertical concepts and, and things of that nature but i think that Wells did it right because he looked I think he looked at that 2013 tech and said okay that was something different he looked at what Cumbie did bring to TCU originally okay that was something different right and I don't know long story short I think it could work because Wells obviously wants to recruit guys like Taj Brooks wants to recruit guys like Sarada Thompson wants to recruit bigger wide receivers like Loic Fungi and I think that Cumbie is somebody who can utilize those type of guys because, again, he was at TCU for those couple of years where they were running something and utilizing different styles of player, right? Gary wasn't recruiting air raid guys on offense, right? He was recruiting guys that he wanted. Um, and so I think it, I, I, I really do like the hire. I think uh, Parker on Twitter, uh, Stats of War, we talked to him earlier this year, um, had a very good breakdown of what, what, Cumbie's hire kind of means and like what he kind of meant at TCU. Um, I think he said basically he was obviously phased out this year. Um, and I think he said it was very clear that TCU did not want to run the air raid and Cumbie could not operate with any constraints at all. He's not going to have any constraints at tech. No. He, he has the most leverage out of any offensive coach arguably in the country right now because Matt Wells knows he is on the hot seat if they yeah. don't do something this year. Yeah, And so I think you're going to have something potentially special because you're going to have Sonny Cumbie saying, cool, let me crack my knuckles and get to work. Let's run this thing. Well, and, and I will say, you know, I think that the offense that people should look at maybe more than any to as to what I think personally that Sonny Cumbie could bring to Tech, and, and it'll be a, a mix of a couple of different things, but I really look at that 2017 TCU offense. It was not necessarily, you know, it wasn't explosive necessarily. It wasn't, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't necessarily like dynamic in all these ways. But um, I believe that that was freshman Jalen Rager was on that offense. Mm-hmm. Um, Kenny Hill was obviously the quarterback. And I personally, you know, I might be wrong. I personally think that Alan Bowman is a better player than Kenny Hill at this point, right? Like, and he doesn't make sort of the same mistake. So I think that they can get more out of the passing game than 2017 TCU did but they were efficient. They ran the ball well. They were very balanced. The mm-hmm. one thing I will add to that, though, is that all five of their offensive linemen are not playing in the NFL. So right. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a big expectation. But, um, but you know, I, I, think that, uh, I think that's Roger Thompson is better than the running backs they had then, right? So I think that 
this is a team that I expect to be pretty balanced. Um, it's a team that I expect to uh, pass the ball well. I do think that they're going to need to go downfield a little more. But like you mentioned, they have some of these big receivers that they haven't necessarily had. And by the way, the guy, <laughs> the guy when you talk about David Yost, everybody complains about the most is TJ Basher, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, but, but like as opposed to TJ Basher, who in my opinion plays smaller than he is, they have some of these big guys like Eric Azukama and like Loic Fungi who play big, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and you mix them in with sort of the, the smaller guys who also are very effective. So I think the pieces are there, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we'll have, obviously have to see whether they can sort of fix some of their offensive line play and, and develop some tackles, but. And so here, here, I'm looking at their schedule next year, right? Yeah, yeah. I think long story short, they need to win at least six yeah. to save Matt Wells' job at the very oh, least, right? They easy. need to be bowling. They need to be bowling. Easily. I really like their schedule. So non-conference, they go Houston, SFA, FIU, potentially three and zero in my opinion. So, and then you obviously these are the uh, these aren't obviously scheduled, but these are the teams they're slated to play in the Big Twelve. At Baylor, at Kansas, at Oklahoma, at Texas, I'd say two and two from that stretch isn't out of the realm possibility. Um, Iowa State, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, TCU, at West Virginia. I think you can potentially win seven. Uh, if you steal one, eight. But six or seven is absolutely within the realm of possibility. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to be curious because I'll tell you what. <laughs> it's kind of funny, right? I covered, I covered Baylor back uh, in like 2013 and 14. And the thing is, right, if you're, like, if you're Oklahoma right now, you look at all of that and you're like, man, it's just a bunch of like pretty good teams, but not ones that can come and beat you. Mm-hmm. But the flip side of that is always, listen, you, you have one bad game. You just have a bad day. You don't hit on one big play. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, eight of those games are losable, right? Yeah, true. That's always the tough part. But I definitely do think – and I'll add Houston to that, by the way, as being sort of in that range too. Yeah, 100%. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. And so um, – but I do think they're going to be in good shape. I'm going to be curious to see how quick the progress comes. I'm also curious to see – uh, you know, with Cumby in there, if there's obvious improvement on offense, do people give Tech a little leeway, right? Like if they see some of the growth and uh, I, I mean, I do think that they probably need to get to six, which, which by the way, if they had, uh, if they had non-conference play this year, they might've been at six this year, but that's a whole other thing. Um, I think that uh, I, it's going to be curious to watch. It'll, it'll be real interesting, but I do think that people will feel a little better that the air raid is back. Um, obviously for TCU now, they lose technically a guy who's their offensive coordinator. I'm curious if they, uh, if they just make the move official and, and they meet him offensive coordinator, um, the most, uh, the most cursed way they could handle this is, is one of, as one of my friends brought up is to just promote Kenny Hill, the quarterback's coach who's currently <laughs> a grad assistant. Um, and now that it's been put out into the universe, it's going to happen. Yep. Uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't expect a whole lot different uh, from, from that TCU offense. And like you said, I mean, there's just so many hands in the kitchen with that one, right? Like mm-hmm. with that TCU situation. Cause you got Jerry kill and you got Doug Meacham and you had Cumby who kind of got phased out. So and, of course, be... and then of course, overarching all, you have Gary like, right. basically saying, this is the way we want to play. <laughs> so right. you, you want to so talk about many. the, uh, the paranoia of a defensive coach interfering on offense. <laughs> right. I know yeah. who you're talking about. He's like, wait, we ran a fun offense that almost got it to his national title. None of that anymore. No, <laughs> we're thank going, you. We're going back. Heck no. 
All right, let's let's close out with this. So uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about it. We dropped our all Texas college team uh, a few weeks ago. I guess last week. I time is a construct, man. I don't. You think I know what's going <laughs> on? I don't know what day it is, but uh, but not long ago is the point. Um, so I'll start off by saying uh, we named our all Texas college player of the year. UTSA running back, Sincere McCormick, our Offensive Player of the Year, North Texas receiver, Jalen Darden, and uh, on defense, linebacker Buddy Johnson from Texas A&M. So I guess let's start with that. Obviously, we all kind of consulted in this, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, what do you kind of think of those picks? Just in terms of why we picked them and things like that or yeah yeah i mean like yeah. especially especially heading through the season well and actually into the season especially mm-hmm. uh are these guys that you would have expected to to be here at the end of the year <sighs> no <laughs> i guess uh sincere mccormick yes obviously like i think that he was somebody that i mean we picked him as the best running back in the state so like you know in, in the magazine so it was somebody that we obviously had tabbed as really damn good <laughs> um but i mean I think we maybe Jalen Darden's explosion kind of, I don't want to say caught people off guard because we always knew he was good, but like, I will say he caught people off guard. <laughs> okay. Fair say. enough. Fair enough. Well, fair enough. But I, I guess the, 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 to the degree of how he exploded, right. Not that right. he's not that he's really good, but just the fact that he basically put up the best receiving numbers in the nation. Who's uh, out of receivers is not named Devonte Smith. I mean, it's, it's him and Devonte Smith. Like, right, exactly. You, you can add Elijah Moore to the, to list two from Ole Miss, but mm-hmm it's those three guys. And the thing that I've been saying over and over and over again about him versus those two guys was that when North Texas quarterbacks did not throw to him, mm-hmm. they completed 46% of their passes. So right. like, <laughs> this is, this is not normal. Right. right this is right, not right. normal. And so I think, well, I think the surprise for me comes with the fact that we just assumed that one of the quarterbacks would probably be it. Right. Sure, sure. We had, we had senior Shane Michelle. We had senior Sam Ellinger okay, one of those guys is going to, you know, dominate. Or even, like, I, I even thought that if, oh, if A&M was going to have the season that they ended up having, that Kellen Mond would have to step, elevate to a certain level. And, and, and I, th- I think he, he was too. good. He was good. But it was like, he's still, I mean, Shane Bichelle had a better year. Um, Sam Ellinger had a, probably not up to standard for him, but like still probably had a better year. Um, and Kellen Mond was good. But it was like, okay, well, you know, Shane Bichelle played f- good right he was still really good but it was still probably not his best season Sam Ellinger definitely didn't have his best season so I was like okay well we really can't justify putting a quarterback there um in that in that offensive player position and then you know you looked at running back it's like okay well there's sincere McCormick but he's also damn good and <laughs> probably deserves to be the best player overall in the state um Isaiah Spiller, but are you know arguing him over Jalen Darden? It was just like, yeah, no, it's it's Darden, man. It's it's yeah. Darden. Yeah, no, it's Darden. Obviously, had a fantastic year, and you know, look, I think that I think that it's always tough to when you have first of all so many, like you mentioned, so many of these top guys who mm-hmm. are contributing to winning. You know, so for me, it was interesting, right? Uh, you know, when we were discussing this, trying to figure out, okay, who's going to be Player of the Year versus Offensive Player of the Year, and you know, for me, you know, I think that I put a little more stock into the into the winning, right, for Sincere mm-hmm. McCormick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that's why I went that direction. And, you know, but I think that, you know, you mentioned, like, Jalen Darden, I think, individual was the most outstanding player in the state of Texas this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, McCormick, I think, is up there. I think that uh, the, the guy who just gets left off the list with this 
is Isaiah Spiller, right. who was phenomenal. I mean, just seriously. <laughs> you want to talk about the guy that had to step up, somehow stepped up from last year, which he was already really good, but when he was had crazy. to step up. Yeah, it step up even more to get A&M into the positions they were. Yeah, yeah. He, he, it's obviously, it, there are just too many good players in the state of Texas, obviously. But, um, you know, definitely, definitely I think that if you look at a guy who, who maybe, uh, you know, should feel a little slighted, I think that Isaiah Spiller is that guy because he really, really carried that Texas A&M offense. I think that, um, you know, moving on to the team a little bit, uh, I think that uh, Kellen Mond, for sure, I think that, that he had a very legitimate case. Um, you know, it, it was kind of interesting this year because I, I do want to touch on this, right, that mm-hmm. when we were putting together this team, it was so much easier to put together the offense than the defense. Yeah. Cause there are just so many guys on defense and so many good players didn't even sniff the list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like offensively you look, I mean, I don't want to say it's as easy as looking as the stat at the stats, but like it's as easy as looking at the stats. Like <laughs> there are some guys who are like, he rushed for more than him. He, <laughs> you know, caught more touchdowns than him. He threw for more than him and their teams are winning. Right. You can also throw the, like you mentioned the winning in there. It wasn't hard. Right. You looked at AM's offensive line. It's like, okay, they have the best offensive line in the state. They're getting offensive linemen on the thing. They're getting more offensive linemen than anybody else on there. Uh, Cosme, you know, Spencer Burford, right? You look at these offensive linemen, it's like they're, they're there, right? There's no debate. Um, yeah, and then you look at the defense and you're like, okay. <laughs> uh, so you, 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 you pencil in, you, st- you pretty much stamp in Osai, and then you start looking down. It's like, okay, well, okay, Morick too. All right. Uh, Tahada, oh God uh wisdom okay like you start like you start realizing he's like oh god i'm filling up how am i already filling up there's st- i still haven't named x y and z oh god schoolers a second teamer okay uh you know you're like uh okay sure oh sean mathis second team oh god uh who's getting left off now jaron morris second team like you start realizing that you're dropping guys to the list you're like wait hold on no that's not right <laughs> wait a minute i just discussed him for all america how is he on the second team all states right <laughs> right, right like uh like uh trey hodges tomlinson from tcu for example right like yeah. like he uh i think that he led the nation in pass breakups right yeah. and, and actually jaron morris was the most productive cornerback in america and so like how do you that defensive back is always one of the hardest for me obviously offensive line is like you know you really got to get into the weeds with offensive line but like yeah. defensive sure, back, yeah you, you just named two you know insane corners uh insane defensive backs and you're like okay cool who do you take off zach mcpherson trevon morig raleigh tahada or rashad wisdom like right <laughs> right no it's it's tough and like definitely the uh comparing tahada versus jaron morris was definitely one of the weirdest things for me because jaron morris is the stat king and Tejada is like the no stat king, right? right? Like, like he's one of those guys who has barely any tackles, has like three pass breakups because they just don't throw. I was about it. to say because they just don't throw it to him, <laughs> right? And so I'm, I'm thankful. Uh, I finally, I finally took the plunge midway through this year and subscribed to Pro Football Focus, and yeah. uh, I honestly don't know what took me so long. So I'm glad that I was kind of able to see some of the advanced stuff. So like, mm-hmm. Ali Tejada until the last week of the season, which <laughs> we won't talk about that last game for Raleigh Tata. That was a terrible, terrible game. But until that <laughs> game, um, he was leading the nation in yards per coverage snap. So, yeah. like, you know, how do you compare these things? 
things right. and stuff. Um, no, and, and you may have noticed also that uh, that we went with a 3-4 uh, <laughs> look. Uh, <laughs> definitely, definitely a stronger linebacker year, I'd say, than, than a defensive line year. But, you know, one thing that I definitely heard a little about was, you know, we when we watched Texas A&M, right, like to me on the defensive line, DeMarvin Leal was the guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like DeMarvin Leal was, was the guy that it was all built around. And Bobby Brown got pushed to second team. And yeah. Bobby Brown was awesome this year. He was a first-team All-SEC guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, even even you look at, um, you know, Peyton Turner, for example. Like, Peyton Turner, it's like, how do you weigh him versus somebody who's more of a gap filler, right? It's mm-hmm. – these teams are always so tough. <laughs> these things yeah. are so tough to put together. So – I'm curious, uh, was there anybody on either the first or second team that either surprised you with where they were, or was there a position that you felt like was especially strong outside of defensive back or, or a, a particularly tough omission? Yeah. Um, man, wide receiver was insane. Yeah. Wide receiver was nuts. Like, we raved about Austin Trammell, right? Yeah. Rightfully yeah. so. We raved about Rasheed Rice and their second team, man. That's right. harsh because, because again, and Jacob Cowing too. Jacob Cowing is on the second team. Like it's, it's insane because Marcel Barbie, Jalen Darden, and Eric Ezekama are, are the first team wide receivers. It's like, you're not replacing those guys. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I think wide receiver and, def- and defensive back this year were absolutely insane because, you know, Brendan Eagles was pretty good this year. Yeah. Right? Josh yeah, Moore. Moore. Josh Moore was pretty good this year. Didn't sniff the list because they don't. They didn't touch the production of those other guys, and that's insane because these other guys had to have insane production to box out those names. And yeah, it's wild. Um, those those are the that that's the position that probably stands out to me. Where it's like, damn, we had to leave off. You know, a potentially. You know, I'm, I'm assuming Brandon Eagles will get drafted just because that, that size and stature and him find, him exploding in some way. Right? He didn't have. He didn't necessarily have an insane year, but he was pretty good and um it kind of flashed that potential that we thought he that he we thought he had coming out of high school um and yeah doesn't sniff the list (laughs) yeah no it's it's receivers always so tough it's easily easily one of the toughest and i mean you know even even like one of the toughest things about you mentioned josh cephas by the way yeah josh (laughs) cephas um oh and uh and actually no the guy from from utsa who was the hardest leave off was uh, zakari franklin yes oh my gosh seriously you know he took such a big step this year and the thing that was also tough about all of this was was trying to compare guys who played such disparate numbers of games too right because like Mm -hmm. you know one guy who I went back and forth and ultimately was just like, he was too good when he played was awesome. Trammell only played like three games, right? But he was so good at those <laughs> three games. And I was like, I don't have a choice. Right. I, I have to, out of the games that he played, like we can only judge him for what they played. And right. it's like, sure. It's partially not fair that he got, you know, he could have fallen off a cliff in the, you know, the last couple of games if he, if he played a full season, but he didn't because they didn't play that much. And you just got to judge what you see. Yeah. Yeah, so, oh, man, crazy year. It's always so hard to put these things together. Um, you know, and another thing, just, just to touch on real quick, is I really debated a little between whether to include FCS players that had played in the fall as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we ultimately decided to wait and do a full All-Texas small college team, uh, which we'll do after the spring season. Mm-hmm. But 
I mean, look, I, you talk about the Stearns brothers and Bailey Zappi. Obviously, all of them belong on there. Uh, I'm trying. I, I'm blanking right now on the receiver from SFA, but he had a fantastic, uh, a fantastic couple of games. I mean, like, there's so many good players, man. There's so many good players in Texas. Yeah. This sucks. This sucks. So. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for joining us. You can find us on uh, find all of our work at sexfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Gamble Sex Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTFCFB. You can become a subscriber at sexfootball.com slash subscribe. And look, we're heading into the offseason, but we're not going anywhere. We're going to have all sorts of content for you all offseason long. Obviously, we'll have a magazine uh, that we'll start putting together in like only a couple of months, which is a whole <laughs> other thing. Uh, we'll have some small college football, by the way, too, which – it's going to be kind of fun to kind of have a little bit of a time just to focus on that too. So we're not going anywhere. Thanks as always for joining us. Uh, and we'll talk to you guys again next week and have a happy new year.